Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Nathan Fox, that's Ben Olson. With us is Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff. He has told us to uh, call him Larry, which still makes me uncomfortable. Ben and I are the uh, founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. We have an email here from F, and the email says, hey guys, I take your advice very seriously and ask your opinion every time a semi-serious decision needs to be made. I have been offered $40,000 a year off of a BU law school tuition, which would equate to paying $19,000 per year, not including living expenses. Additionally, I was offered a full ride at Northeastern and Suffolk. I have not heard from BC. BU puts more people into big law while Northeastern and Suffolk do not. BU therefore has stronger starting salaries for new grads. How would you guys make a financial decision based on this information? Uh, also, in a previous podcast, you guys mentioned how an economist or someone in a field related would truly crunch the numbers. How can I make an educated decision based on data points that will help me leave law school with minimal debt and a strong starting salary, assuming I did big law or something related to that starting salary? Uh, we have, <laughs> Larry, you are an actual economist. I have your book in my hand. It's called Money Magic. You have a whole chapter that's called Don't Borrow for College. I am going to shut up and let you give some advice to our listener. <laughs> well, first of all, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks so, uh, so much for uh, having me. The Yeah, these are tricky uh, decisions. Uh, Suffolk is a great university, long tradition. Uh, lots of great connections downtown uh, with the law firms, very well respected. Northeastern has done dramatically, you know, dramatically improved as a university over the last 40 years. Uh, so, you know, what, what you need to look at is uh, what is the differential in expected pay that I could get uh, over my lifetime from going to BU? You know, it could be that the starting salary and so the first job might pay another an extra 10 or 20 to 30,000. But, you know, where I go from there is going to be very similar, whether I'm coming from Suffolk or coming from Northeastern. Uh, and I don't know how, how important it is to law firms that you, you're coming from a more prestigious law, law firm. There's no question that BU has one of the top law faculties in the country. And that may matter. Uh, you know, even 20 years from now that you can say that you have a degree from that, you know, a, a law firm that you might want to move to in a Minneapolis might uh, pay BU grads or be more interested in BU grads than Suffolk grads. That's the kind of thing that you could pick up the phone and call some law firm in Minneapolis, a top law firm, and say, you know, everything else equal, if I was calling you moving to Minneapolis in 20 years and I've done well um, and I had a BU uh, degree versus a Northeastern or Suffolk, would it affect your interest in hiring me? If they say no, you very quickly, you know, and a few, a few other firms say no, then you know there's not a big differential that far out. So you want to really try and get a handle on what's the the pay differential, and then you want to get a, add up the cost differential and just compare them, do a cost benefit analysis. The borrowing rates are very high uh, compared to the, the lending rates uh, on these student loans. And then uh, 
especially for graduate student loans, which we're talking about here, the rates are high. And then you can't get out of them from, if you go bankrupt, uh, you can't discharge them easily in bankruptcy. Uh, you're stuck with these loans till the end of your day. So if it's a matter of, you know, not just paying uh, for your room and board and the extra tuition, but also borrowing or having your parents borrow uh, an even, at an even higher rate and maybe taking it out of your uh, inheritance as a result, you know, the real cost. So you have to add up all these costs and then compare it to the game and see what uh, it looks like. You can't really aid prestige, um, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to BU to um, meet your spouse, to the BU Law School, if that's what you have in mind here and you can afford it, it might be a bit much better than, you know, Tinder or Match.com as a place. Maybe you'll find a, a better spouse to BU than at Suffolk. But otherwise, if it's talking about education, uh, how much is that gonna matter to your actual um, income? Uh, that uh, the BU faculty have published more in top law journals than the uh, Suffolk faculty. Without doing, without calling those firms and doing that due diligence, what's your gut reaction? Is it any, like just save the money and go to Suffolk or do you think My it's- My gut reaction is it's, it's gonna be, um, uh, so how much was the, tu- the grant was like 40,000 at BU, right? The tuition is probably, uh, he netted it out to 19, it's going to cost 19,000 a year in tuition. He'll have That's, to actually pay 19,000 versus zero at Northeastern, zero at Suffolk. So, so we're talking about 60,000 over three years. Uh, it's not the end of the world to go to, to uh, BU because he should be able to, you know, have a high enough salary to pay that back. So I would really, you know, maybe visit the three places and talk to faculty and talk to the students and see what their experience has been and then try and find out where people have gotten hired. If half the class in Northwest Northeastern hasn't gotten a job from last year, uh, whereas everybody at BU did, that's gonna make a big difference in the calculation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, he needs to look not only at, you know, average, salary right because i mean just looking at mean starting salary doesn't tell us that much we need to like really look at what are the odds of getting a big law job uh which is one of those high high dollar jobs it's not like the number is zero at northeastern or suffolk and it's not like the number is 100 at bu so he needs to discount somehow like that starting salary by what are my odds of actually getting one of those jobs yeah, you have to multiply the probably you know the probability of, of that salary differential from going to BU times the probability of that happening, um, and that's the expected gain versus the uh, the cost for the sh- for sure the extra sixty thousand. But then I mean the cost could actually be higher than sixty thousand because the interest rate, you know, it may be uh, he borrows sixty thousand and it's accumulating interest along the way. So by the time he graduates, and then he might have some college debt. So it may take him a long time to repay this. Meanwhile, he's paying 6% uh, nominal when, you know, the, yeah. if the inflation rate's really 2%, that's 4% real. Uh, that's a big high number. 
because right now you can invest for sure um, safely in long-term government inflation index bonds at negative 11 basis points. So that's a long way from 4%. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, um, sorry to interrupt you. One thing that struck me in your book that uh, is this, you said my measure of college prestige is one minus the US news ranking divided by 100. I was wondering if we could apply that to law schools as well. But now that also strikes me, does that mean that only the top 100 schools even matter? I'm not sure exactly what I was trying, probably trying to be funny because there wasn't any serious formula there. But, uh, you know, the U.S. news ranking, I think, is worthless. Uh, uh, Our department, for example, my economics department here at Boston University, we're ranked uh, based on publications in top journals, uh, which is a serious ranking that's being done uh, routinely, we're ranked about 11th. Uh, if you look at the U.S. News and World Report ranking of graduate departments, uh, our department could, could easily be ranked 30th or 50th in their ranking because they have no real methodology. They might ask somebody from Harvard or MIT or, you know, what they think of these, uh, who knows who they're asking. And, uh, well, actually, if they ask people for, who, from good schools, they would know our department quite well because they're always over here giving talks. I mean, the university in general uh, has historically been ranked low compared to the quality of the departments. Uh, and it's ranked low because it didn't have a great gym and didn't have great dorms. And a lot of the alumni were pissed off at the administration. It was run by kind of an autocratic guy named John Silver, who uh, pissed off people in the process of making the place a whole lot better. Uh, so he pissed off the alumni, so they gave bad ratings. But meanwhile, uh, you know, if you look at classics or physics or economics or any uh, English uh, or the music department, uh, these are like second to none in in the country, they're world-renowned departments. You know, but the, but the U.S. News and World—it's not a serious ranking. So I said in the book, if you're going to think about choosing to study chemistry at college, if that's your interest, if you have, if you know what your interest is, uh, do your own little ranking of the places you're thinking about, and do it this way. You know, if I'm thinking about, should I choose between, let's say, Wake Forest and Pomona? in to study chemistry, call somebody from the university, call the uh, chairman at the University of Michigan and ask him or her to rank these two places. Uh, gets a real independent uh, assessment from somebody who actually knows. And maybe he'll say, well, I know these people at this, um, at Wake Forest and I uh, don't know anybody there. Uh, and these people are really good. So right away you've learned something. Uh, if you learn that if they know nothing about either place, maybe you should be applying to the University of Michigan. The, the, uh, so I think, I think that if you're going for an education, if you're gonna spend all this money and effort, you wanna to go to a place that has top researchers because they're gonna know what's at the frontier of their fields. They're gonna to have to be up on the, to get published, you have to be reading the literature. 
which means you have to be acquainted with what everybody else is doing. You have to be at the forefront of your field uh, because you have to cite other people's work in your papers. So when you want to, when you're being taught, you want to be taught by somebody who is actually knowledgeable about the frontier of your of the field, not what was known 50 years ago, right? Why learn old stuff that might actually be wrong at this point, right? Or discounted by people that are real, really knowledgeable. And uh, we have people at BU. I, you know, I discussed in the book that some kids come to college, they borrow like $75,000 or they and their parents, like they can't borrow themselves 75,000. I think the limit's around 31,000 for four years, but you can have your parents borrow on your behalf or you could borrow privately. You can end up with a huge amount of borrowing. Uh, you could spend four years here taking graduate students and visiting professors of which there are plenty and never get uh, any of the top faculty in our, on our department in economics who collectively have been ranked uh, the 10th top or 10th or 11th top department in the world. And if you don't know enough to say, say I'm gonna be careful about who I select to take courses from, you might as well be going to some place that has no decent economists, no published economists, because you'll get the same kind of, you'll get, you know, you, you won't get cutting edge, um, uh, pedagogy, you won't get, get taught where things are at the, at the margin and you'll have to pay for it <laughs> to boot. And you may pay for the rest of your life. You may be in your sixties still paying off your student loans. And you may borrow so much that you can't actually afford to be, maybe you took economics on the side, but you really studied art history. And again, right there, you took a whole bunch of visitors as opposed to their top art historians. And you wanted to be an art historian, but you borrowed so much money, you can't afford to be an art historian. That's the real tragedy here. We have a lot of kids who have no idea how much they're borrowing. They turn around or their parents are borrowing and their parents might be handing them the bills and saying, look, I borrowed this money for you. Now you get to repay it. I borrowed so you could go to college. And I didn't want to tell you about how much I was borrowing to make. I don't want you to be nervous about it, but it's your loan. Here it is. You pay it back. Uh, I did this for you. Congratulations. And uh, yeah. And then the kid says, I can't afford to intern in a art gallery or work in an art museum. They're not paying me enough. I'll be starving to death. Now my entire four years of college, which was focused on art history, down the tubes. I borrowed so much I can't afford to do what I wanted to do. Well, this happens in law school all the time when people, they want, you know, our correspondent here wants to go into big law. So this isn't somebody who is wanting to follow their, uh, you know, passion to help the world. This is somebody who is in it for the money. But we do have, you know, at least half of the people who talk to us want to help people or they want to help the environment. And uh, then they end up borrowing so much money that there's just no way that they could possibly go ahead and no, no way that they're going to actually end up doing that if, and also pay off their loans. Hey, we need to cut off this discussion here, but we will continue it on our other podcast, Thinking LSAT, which is a longer form podcast. These episodes over here on LSAT Demon Daily are a little bit shorter. So if it's okay with you, Larry, we'll stop this here and then we'll go over to the other show. 
Sure. Um, the book is called Money Magic. I would really recommend everybody listening to this podcast get a copy of the book. The chapter specifically is called Don't Borrow for College, but there's lots of uh, great advice in the book everywhere. Uh, where can people learn more about you, Larry, if they want to follow uh, up? Kotlikoff.net is my website. Uh, so I, I write a lot on all kinds of uh, topics from carbon taxation banking reform, healthcare reform, uh, but I also uh, work on you know, personal finance. I have a software company that has economics-based personal financial planning advice for households. So um, I do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm just going to spell that for everybody. That's um, kotlikoff.net, K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net. Excellent. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thanks.